although I'm going to go away, I am going to go away on holiday more often if I get that cheer when I come back. Um, it's, uh, it's great uh, to be back with you. Um, we, uh, Lizzie, Maisie and I have just come back from holiday and it was absolutely brilliant. But, you know, we caught up with, you know, my family yesterday and just being back among church family today and you do realise how much you miss uh, people, even if you're away for just a short time, and it's just, I don't know, it's a strange thing, you just kind of, like, but like Big Tread, I saw Big Tread yesterday, and I, he gave me a hug, and I just thought, Flip, I've missed you, Big Treads. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's great, I love it. <laughs> Absolutely love that guy. What a bloke. Um, yeah, so, and listen, the sun is shining, eh? Look, I mean, you're all looking much healthier than the last time I was here. <laughs> I mean, you're probably thinking, so do you, Phil, you know, because I was virtually transparent uh, before going on holiday, and now I'm just a slight pinkish tinge. Uh, Don't worry, it will be gone within 24 hours of the sun disappearing, I guarantee you. Uh, But there we go. (laughs) Um, Now, oh, I've I've left my Bible here and I've realized that I need it. Um, Okay, so we're going to be reading today uh, in Acts. And uh, chapter 16, uh, and uh, for those of you who are hanging around um, Hope Church regularly, you'll know that uh, not long ago, um, about maybe six weeks, uh, we, had, we had a conference where a guy called Danny Silk, who's uh, one of the leaders in Bethel Church, was over uh, teaching on the culture of honor. And he came along on, on Sunday morning, and he spoke a bit about you know, kind of cultural values, things that, you know, he, he considered to be important in, I guess, in building healthy family, church family. And he spoke at, first about this kind of culture of worship, uh, really. And, uh, and I just wanted to kind of talk into that a wee bit um, this morning. Uh, we're running maybe slightly behind and the sun is shining. So this is, this is a big promise to make this early in a message but I will try to be brief. Some of you are thinking, no chance. I've heard that before, but we'll see. Um, okay, um, so we're, we're, we're going to read uh, from, from verse 25. And, uh, actually, let's, let's go a wee bit earlier than that. Um, the context of the story is that Paul and, and Silas are in Philippi, and amazing stuff is happening Oh, sorry, we're in Acts chapter 16. Sorry. Um, uh, and amazing stuff is happening. Uh, you know, people are getting, uh, are getting saved. People are getting healed. There's some kind of resistance and opposition to what they're doing. Uh, but just, you know, it's like any of the chapters in Acts. You know, it's mental stuff. Uh, but, you know, massive growth, massive opposition, incredible miracles, Holy Spirit, mental you know, just the kind of church that we're looking for on the earth these days. Uh, but, um, but yeah, so this, we're kind of breaking into the story when things have kind of maybe taken a turn for the worse, and uh, Paul and Silas are about to get themselves in a spot of bother. So maybe let's, let's re- read from verse 22. Uh, the crowd joined in attacking them, that's Paul and Silas, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. 
Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and with trembling and fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, he was a very polite Philippian jailer, uh, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he, ba- he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and he set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. What an amazing story. One of many amazing stories in this amazing book. Let's pray and then we'll go through it. Jesus... Jesus, you are absolutely amazing. And Father, I'm just once again this morning in worship just overwhelmed with how good you are, Lord, how good you are that you know us. Lord, you know where we succeed and where we fail. And you just choose to love us. And, and there's nothing we can do to get you to stop loving us, Lord. You just keep going. You keep pursuing us. You keep wanting that deeper and deeper connection with us. And, and Father, I'm just overwhelmed by your great goodness. And, and I pray, Lord, for all of us, Lord, that we would uh, know more of that before we leave today uh, than we did when we ar- arrived. Uh, so we just invite you, Holy Spirit. Why don't you just invite the Holy Spirit? Um, just welcome him. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here among us. Lord, you are a great teacher. Lord, we don't really learn anything unless you teach it to us. So come, Holy Spirit, and move amongst us. Lord, well up within us. Teach us new things. Take us into things that we don't yet know anything about. In Jesus' name. Come on. Okay, I'm going to attempt to put this on this book, on this stand, and we're going to hope for the best. In the name of Jesus. Um, Okay, now, it's really important when we think about this passage that we understand, um, you know, obviously the story ends very well, but uh, it's useful for us to understand how unlikely it is that this story is going to end well at the beginning. Of course, we all know the end, so we kind of think, well, you know, Paul and Silas thrown in jail, you know, beaten, doesn't sound great, but, you know, it'll all turn out. You know, it's the Bible. Uh, I've read the end. 
it'll be fine. Uh, but if, if we can kind of think our way into the start of the story and realize that the face value, natural circumstances in which Paul and Silas find themselves are absolutely dire. Um, a Roman prison, I understand, had three areas, and they were in the innermost area, which is basically a dungeon that people were left in to die. And being put in the stocks as they were would have meant that their feet had been stretched apart and kind of lashed into the, uh, to the, the bit of wood. And so they, were, they would be in pain, constant pain, throughout that night. So they were in darkness. They were in this place of pain. They were in a place where there was no possibility in the natural sense that they were ever going to uh, escape. This was not a good circumstance to find yourself in. Now, it's really important that we, that we really understand that, understand the the kind of the dire nature of the circumstances, because if we don't understand that, we won't get that really what happens in this story is impossible. An impossible thing happens for Paul and Silas. So a situation that seems absolutely dire suddenly becomes one of incredible triumph. And, you know, we need to be reminded, I, well, maybe I should just personalize this, I need to be reminded on a regular basis, that God is the God of the impossible. Do you know that? What I, what I find is that I very easily slip into just thinking that God can just, you know, do about the same, maybe a bit better than me, which is an extraordinary thing to say out loud. And now I've said it, it seems a bit foolish. But you understand what I'm saying, that actually in your life, that, you, know, you're, you, can, you can just be getting through things and, and your gaze can drop and you can just kind of think, well, you know, I've got all this to do and we've got work to do and this needs to happen and I need to get here and I need to do this today. And we need, to, we need to have in our culture this constant reminder that, listen, we serve the God who does the impossible, which means anything is possible for you today. So I don't know, maybe there's some dire circumstances. You know, I mean, maybe you're not quite in the inner jail, shackled to the stocks, you know, in darkness and agony. But listen, if you get one thing from today, get this. We just worshipped a God who does the impossible, which means that nothing is impossible for you. We need to take time to say verses to ourselves like, for nothing will be impossible with God. Luke chapter 1 verse 37. Luke 19, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Job 42, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things. A man who went through some difficulties and came out saying, I know you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. What about this one from Jeremiah? Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. 
Nothing is too hard for you. Say that to yourself. Nothing is too hard for God. Okay. Now, look, you, I don't, I, you don't need to know the circumstances, but is there anybody in here who is, has got, a, got an impossible circumstance that they're going through right now? Put your hand up if you're, if you're going through an impossible circumstance. Okay, if you're sitting around them, put a hand on their shoulder, okay, and declare over them this truth that there is nothing impossible for God. Nothing is impossible. Lord, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm, and nothing is too hard for you. Nothing is too hard for you. (laughs) Come on. Nothing is too hard for you. Which means even your impossible situation is possible. Come on. And what happens is that in the atmosphere of worship, the impossible happens. And that's what, that's what we see here. You know, Psalm 22 says, You are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. When we praise Him, when we praise Him, the impossible starts to happen. And in verse 26, we see that actually Paul and Silas, in this terribly dark, terribly depressing place, they have this as individuals, this culture of worship that just says, you know what, I am going to worship him in any, in any and every circumstance. You know, when things are going well, I'm going to praise him. Thank you, Jesus. You know, when I am in the worst situation, you know, what are we going to do, Silas? What do you think? Well, maybe we'll start singing. Maybe it's a good thing that they were there together. Maybe one person on their own would have thought, oh, stuff this, I'm in agony. <laughs> But maybe they encouraged each other. They said, no, come on. We serve a God for whom nothing is impossible. Let's get worshiping. And they start worshiping. And in this atmosphere of worship with all these people listening in, the impossible happens. There's an earthquake. All the shackles are broken. It's interesting, isn't it? And I just realized that as I was reading there that even though it's only Paul and Silas who are worshipping, all the shackles are broken. Do you notice that? Isn't that great? And some, I mean, there's going to be some scoundrels in there, aren't they, really? Let's be honest. I mean, Paul and Silas, they were wrongfully in the dungeon. But there's going to be some pretty fruity people in there, you know, who have done some pretty interesting, had led some interesting lives. But in that moment, in the atmosphere of worship, because of these two guys, the shackles are broken. And there's this moment of freedom for all. Freedom for all. Now, that is exactly what we want in this family, isn't it? That when people come in, no matter what's binding them, if they start, worship, if they start just even listening to what we're doing, to our worship, they find that their chains come off and they're free. Come on. Isn't it great? 
And so the prison doors break open. Now, um, Joaquin Evans, or Joaquin Evans, I think his name is, uh, a guy who uh, leads the healing ministry um, at uh, Bethel Church, he said this to me um, a while back, and it really stuck with me. He said, more will happen in his presence, in God's presence, without you even trying than you can ever, by your own efforts, make happen outside of his presence. Just, listen, here's, this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to have, an, have a culture where he, he can dwell, because where he can dwell, anything can happen. N- nothing is impossible. And there's this amazing story, um, which in some ways you know, encapsulates this, maybe we should just turn to it actually, in 2 Chronicles, you can flip back quite a long way, 2 Chronicles, and chapter 20, and this is, uh, this is quite a famous story of Jehoshaphat, who um, becomes king, you know, at a really dark time for God's people, and, um, you know, the, the kind of, the enemies of God's people are kind of arrayed against them, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Minyanites, maybe. Um, And they came up against Jehoshaphat for battle, it says. And some of them told, let's just read this chapter, verse 2, some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, beyond the sea. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid And he set his face to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. And all the cities of Judah, they came and they sought the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, O God, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. Your hand, in your hand are power and might, and that so that none is able to withstand you. Basically, you can do anything. Nothing is impossible. He's reminding his people in this terrible time of crisis, listen, we are worshiping a God for whom nothing is impossible. Even this situation that we've got ourselves in, Did you not, O God, drive out the inhabitants of the land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And then he he says in verse 9, if that disaster, sorry, verse 8, he says, and and they lived in it and you have, and have built it for you, built for you in it a sanctuary for your name saying, if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. Amazing. And what happens at the end of the story is that they all go out to battle, and they're all kind of lined up. You can imagine, I mean, again, you've got to think your way into the story. These people are at, you know, the terror you know, and, and these kind of soul, these puny soldiers, you know, they kind of 
mighty armies arrayed against them. There's absolutely no hope, you know, in and of itself, in the natural of escape. This is, this is the end. This is the destruction of God's people. And, uh, and Jehoshaphat says to them, when they're all lined up, he says, Listen, O Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, and King Jehoshaphat, this is what the prophet says, Thus says the Lord, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up, and you will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness, and you will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. And so we get this amazing word from the prophet having worshipped God, this God of the impossible. In this impossible situations, and the word from God says, actually, you won't even need to fight. I mean, again, think your way into that situation. You know, have you ever heard of somebody get a prophetic word and you just think, really? <laughs> imagine, imagine feeling that way and then thinking, and tomorrow my life's going to depend upon that prophetic word. No, but you know, but they all can, they, they get together and they shuffle out, you know, onto the plain, down the valley, out to meet the army, thinking, you know, well, God said, you know, that we won't need to fight. I mean, does he really mean we won't need to fight? I mean, can I really mean that? Maybe he means we'll need to fight a bit, you know. You know, that's kind of what you think, don't you? I mean, that's, that can't be, that can't really be what he said. Did he say that? Do you remember what he said yesterday? Verse 20. They arose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness. And and when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, What a king this man is. Hear me, Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And so out from this place, the armies were led by worshipers saying, give thanks to God. His steadfast love endures forever. And the end of the story, you may well know, but they arrive and discover that in a confusion and darkness, the enemies of God have attacked each other. And they just arrive they round the corner. You can imagine them kind of like, you know, getting to the end of the valley, <laughs> peeping round the corner, what's going to be there? And just as far as the eye could see, their enemies just lying dead. You know, they might have looked at their spear in their hand. Oh, well, 
won't be needing this then. Stand still and see that the God or the salvation that God will bring to you. This is his battle, it's not ours. You see, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers of this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And when we worship, we're acknowledging that. We're acknowledging that actually this the big battles, are, they're not ours, ultimately. These are things that are going on in the spiritual realm and worship at pull-on God is the thing that ultimately brings victory rather than our own efforts. There is more that will happen in God's presence without you even trying. I feel like I need to say that to myself every day when I get out of bed because, my goodness... I forget that so easily. More will happen without me even trying in his presence than I can make happen ever by my own efforts when I'm outside it. Um, The other thing that that happens here when, when Paul and Silas worship is that heaven's reality becomes earth's reality. So... So what you see in verse 27 and 28, so if we just read these again, when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, uh, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. What we see when they worship and heaven's reality becomes earth's reality is that Paul and Silas weren't really in jail and the jailer wasn't really free which is the truth. That's the reality of the situation. You see, Paul and Silas, they don't go anywhere. Now, this is like the, the most amateur jailbreak in the history. <laughs> you know, your chains fell off, your heart was free, and you stayed exactly where you were. It's remarkable. They don't go anywhere. And, uh, and what you... you know, Because you see, Paul and Silas, they are constrained by a force much greater than chains. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, the love of Christ constrains them. You can't kill a man who's dead already. And a man who is constrained by that love can never really be locked up. But you see, the funny thing is that the jailer, who seems to be free at the start of the story, we suddenly realize, ah, this man is in prison. This man is enslaved by, you know, maybe the fear of of his Roman army superiors who will surely kill him as a punishment for losing his prisoners. He's imprisoned to fears and all kinds of insecurities. And he's about to do himself in. And Paul, in that moment, brings the peace of God to him. Heaven's reality becomes earth's reality in that atmosphere of worship. 
Now, it's important to just, if we just go back to verse 25, it's important to say, because we could, we could start to be thinking, you know, uh, and some people can maybe even read that passage about Jehoshaphat and think, well, you know, worship, it's like a, it's like a tool. It's like something you, you use to get what you want. <laughs> you know, you, you can think it, it could become, if you follow that, you know, down the line, that could become slightly an, a slightly ugly thing. And it's important to see that Paul and Cyrus are, are rejoicing before the miracle. They're rejoicing anyway. They're not rejoicing in the miracle. They're rejoicing in him. You know, this is, this is more like, in fact, that great um, story, one of my favorites, another one of my favorites in the whole Bible, uh, in Daniel chapter 3, with the magnificently named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, you know, where, where they are, um, they're, you know, being forced, you know, you know, you will bow down and worship this golden idol, or I will throw you into the flames. And, uh, and Nebuchadnezzar says, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they've got to be some men with names like that. <laughs> I mean, think of how hard their life was in the playgrounds, you know? It's the boy named Sue. Uh, that'll bring you up hard. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, even if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Man, that is worship. The reason you can't wield worship like a tool to get what you want is because when you do that, it stops being worship. The point is, worship is uncompromising, is whatever, but even if we're in the fiery furnace, know this, we will worship him. That is the kind of worship that brings heaven to earth. <laughs> and that is, that's Paul and Silas. You know, they weren't worshipping thinking, how long do you think we'll have to do before we get a miracle? <laughs> Five minutes? Six minutes? Three songs. <laughs> I'm thinking three songs. What are you thinking? You know, sometimes we could tip up the church bit like that. You know, how many songs before it really gets good? <laughs> how many do you think? Let's take a sweep. No. Uh, <laughs> the point is we worship, whether it's good or bad. Man, I want to be like that. Um, now, what's interesting here is that I love that the jailer... And now, if we look at this, um, the jailer was, was really afraid. He was so afraid of the consequences of the prisoners escaping that he was about to kill himself. Okay, that's how afraid he was of that happening, of the prisoners escaping, that he was about to kill himself because he thought they'd gone. But actually, he was even more afraid of the fact that they didn't escape. 
you know, you, if you read it in, in, in verse 29, but Paul, so verse 28, Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, we were all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Now, what we realize here is that such a radical display, and man, this is countercultural. I mean, who wouldn't take the opportunity to just slip into the night? <laughs> you know, if the, yeah, praising God as you go, if the chains had fallen off and the doors had swung open, you just think, well, this sounds like a word from the Lord. <laughs> I'll be going. <laughs> I mean, come on, let's be honest. We think, I'm miracle. I'm free. Bye. And who cares about the jailer? That would have been the last thing on my mind. The jailer. What about the jailer's soul? <laughs> what? I remember about 20 minutes down the road, still running. Before I thought, the jailer. Oh, fine. <laughs> I'm sure we'll be fine. But you see, you see such a radical countercultural display of worship. It, it draws something like awe from the jailer. Because he realizes that these men are living for something greater, and his life in the face of this seems almost worthless. But you know, this reminded me, when I was reading this, reminded me of when I got saved. When I was 20 years old, and I signed up for a missions trip thinking I was a Christian, and got there and realized I wasn't. Man, that was an awkward few weeks. But... <laughs> For the first two weeks of that trip, we were in a street kid's home in Harare in Zimbabwe. And every morning, between eight and nine, these kids worshipped. And, man, they worshipped. And I, as, you know, the whitest man on the continent... Kind of stood in the corner, not really knowing. You know, my only experience of church was, you know, a, quite a gentle Church of Scotland. God bless them. But it was nothing like that. And these, and over the course of the two weeks, every day, they worshipped. And you got to know some of their stories and how these kids had arrived in this street kids home and some from terrible terrible abuse you know the worst things you can imagine had happened to some of these little kids just you know five years old four years old some of them and yet the guy who ran the center he came out every morning and he he led them in some prayers and he said to them you know i love you all and jesus loves you all and they worshipped. And there was a brothel next door. I remember the, the prostitutes used to hang out the windows in the mornings and just listen to these little kids worshipping. And I, I stood there day after day just thinking, I'm the one who has nothing here. 
I'm the poor person in this gathering. You know, these kids have, they don't have shoes on their feet, but, but I am the one in poverty because they have something that I cannot even imagine, but it is so valuable. And it changed my life. I got saved um, the week after that. And that's what happens to the jailer. And that's what, listen, that's what we want to happen in here. The people would come in. You know, you know unsaved people, they can tell. Listen, I remember, I'm not that, you know, I'm 32 now, so I can still remember being unsaved. Uh, and I listen, there is a clear difference between singing songs and worship. And it is discernible to people who don't know God. They can tell the difference a mile off. There is no challenge to them. And there is no awe and there is no inspiration for people singing songs. But when they see worship, suddenly questions start arising in their heart. And ultimately, if they follow it to the end, they get to the point where they think, I'm the poor one. They've got something so valuable. Who am I? And they get saved. You know, verses 32 and 33. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, to Paul and Silas, and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and he washed their wounds. He was baptized at once, he and all his family. See, a jailer, what's the result of this? A jailer becomes a healer. Come on. Come on. That's heaven coming to earth. Now, what's interesting to me, again, I was just reading this, I thought, that's interesting. God shakes the jail, but he, and gets Paul and Silas free, but he doesn't heal their wounds. That's interesting to me. You think this massive outpouring of God, the jail ripped open. You'd think everybody would be walking out of there with a new haircut and a flash suit of clothes. <laughs> Just be thinking, heaven on earth. <laughs> and this is what it looks like. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You can think this is God. God has showed up so massively that everything, everything must be put right. And yet, I mean, they, these guys, I mean, they were given a real kick in the day before. I mean, they were flogged. They were in real pain, and they didn't get healed. What's interesting is that the earthquake happens, the prison doors are open, but Paul and Silas still have to preach the word of the Lord to the jailer for him to get saved. See that? Now that, to me, can only mean one thing. And that is this, that God wants partnership. Even when heaven comes to earth, there's still going to be things that need to be done. There's still going to be work to do. 
hard work, difficult, grotty, you know, picking bits of grit out of the back of a grotty guy called Paul. Not nice stuff. There's still stuff to do. Because God wants to leave a bit for us. He wants to work in partnership with us. We cannot allow ourselves to think that heaven will look like us sitting on our asses doing nothing and God having done it all. Okay, we can't allow ourselves to think that actually if we could just arrive at this place and worship, then we'll turn up in the morning and the PA will already be set up. You know, praise be. We've arrived. The miracle has happened. The microphone doesn't even feed back why the presence of the Lord is here. (laughs) Amen. This is a nonsense. This is a nonsense. There will always be things to do. Why? Because God wants it this way. He wants partnership with us. And verse 34, I love it. This is a story that begins with worship and ends with worship. A new family, the jailer's family, brought in, worshiping God, big feast, great party, everyone enjoying themselves, loving it. What a brilliant picture of worshiping God and enjoying life. Come on, this is what we're going for. This is a culture of worship. This is what we're after. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, let's pray. Jesus, we love you. God, I'm so challenged by these men, Paul and Silas, and the way they lived their life, and the way they just worshipped you in every season, and just saw you do incredible things, and worked their butts off for you, from just a place of complete joy and love. And God, I want to be more like them, and I want us to be more like them. Lord, and this is where we're going, and you're leading us in this direction, and it's really exciting, and we love you and praise you, Jesus. Father, you are so good to us. Holy Spirit, we prize you, your presence with us more than anything else. Bless you, God. Amen. Amen.